JudgeCast sponsored by Taco Bell. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 135. My name is CJ Schrader and with me, as always, my two... Jess Dunks. <laughs> to what? It is I, Jess Dunks. And Brian Perlman. <laughs> Hello. Oh, listen. Okay, so this is an email show. And when we've done 52 of these, it's hard to come up with something signifying emails to do in that little opening. We've done 52 of these? No. Oh. We've done like four, five. The point is, we had emails going all the way back to September. Some of them still might need answering, but... We thought we'd do an episode on our emails, just a grab bag, random assortment. Uh, But pro tip, if you're an email sender and you might have interest in your email being read one day, you should make it shorter and not involve a bunch of obscure cards. Hmm. Like anyone whose email involved a bear cub probably had a good chance of getting in. Like it's okay to, to have a question about an obscure card. But your example should not include 10 other obscure cards to make it work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you can send us those and we'll answer them eventually. But they might not get read on there when we do our random email shows. All right. So our first email comes from Kevin. He says, hello, I had a question that came up in Legacy. A friend was playing Blue Red and had a young Pyromancer on the battlefield. He casted Getaxian Probe and his opponent immediately laid out his hand. My friend took a look at the hand, put a token into play for young P, then drew a card. My question is, since revealing the hand is part of the resolution of G-Probe, like all these abbreviations, is there any way my friend could have missed his young P trigger by looking at his opponent's hand in this circumstance? If not, is there any circumstance you would consider the trigger missed before the player with the young P drew his, his or her card? So, so, so let me get this straight. So uh, you, you are friend had a young P and got G-Probed. Yes. All right. And he wants to know if there's a MT here. Hmm. Or is it OOS? He didn't ask OOS, but it's presumed. So in a natural real world game, you know, if this was Magic Online, this should have resolved with you have Young Pyromancer, which triggers when you cast a spell. Is that right? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery. An instant or sorcery, not just a spell. Sorry, I've been playing too much Hearthstone where spells (laughs) are different. (laughs) Um, So Young Pyromancer triggers whenever you cast a spell. And that same player casts Cataxian Probe, um, which says, the opponent reveals her hand and you draw a card. And, <laughs> and so, it is a sorcery. And it is a sorcery. Not... <laughs> um, even though it has a big eyeball on it. But So if this was Magic Online, what would have happened there is we would have the stack would be uh, the Gitaxian Probe and then the put a 1-1 token onto the battlefield trigger on top, right? So it's technically not correct for the opponent to throw down their hand and the player to look at it, then put out a token, then draw a card, right? But... That falls under what we call out-of-order sequencing, which is when you do a set of actions that individually might be illegal, but in the end get you back to a legal game state. Um, out-of-order sequencing is something we must think about when we're when we're evaluating whether or not some, a, miss, a uh, trigger was missed. So in this case, for this situation, the trigger was pretty easily not missed, I feel like. Um, another thing you have to take into account here is the opponent could have... Well, the opponent can't really force the trigger to be missed, so the opponent can't try to rush through the probe resolving. Um, so like in this case in particular, you know, the opponent can't throw down their hand and be like, well, you missed your trigger because here's my hand probes resolved. Right. That's, that's one of the main salient points about this. I think mm-hmm. it's like um, you, you, so th- there is a world where they miss that trigger, but it involves both players like re- resolving the stack in order, right? Like, like mm-hmm. basically saying, Oh, you're getaxian probing me. Okay. Are you ready to see my hand now? And having them go, yes, yes, I'm ready to see your hand. Yes. And uh, then being like, oh, shoot, I need to put this this token on the battlefield. Okay. Womp, womp. Yeah. At right. that so, point. So it's not, no, part of this also comes down to the fact that it's not illegal for the player to reveal their hand at any time, whether there's a probe being resolved or not. So simply revealing your hand does not push the game forward to that point. That's true. Right. It's like that, uh, uh, what is it, that, uh, that fairy uh, where you reveal your hand. Uh, Vendillion uh, click. Vendillion click. Yeah, right. I go, Vendillion click, and the opponent just drops his hand right away. Like, well, we haven't even, hasn't even resolved yet. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, and then you look at his hand, and then you go, okay, I'll target myself with it. All right, Brian, looks like the next one's yours. Either All through right. mistake on my part, or one of you all swipped, swapped the next two questions. 
All right. Uh, it's yours. Yes. Okay. So this is from Scott. Hi, Scott. Uh, it says, I had a situation come up in a commander game where, wow, how many times can I say clever impersonator in this? Two, three, <laughs> yeah, you four, could just say clone. Clone. Okay. I had a situation come up in a commander game the other evening, and I was confused about, well, I'm going to say clone a lot. I had Riku of Two Reflections. Uh, which is whenever a non-token, the relevant ability is whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay green-blue. If you do, put a token into play that's a copy of that creature. Uh, so he has out Riku. Uh, he casts a clone, copies it with Riku's ability. Okay. Then he says, I tried to have my clever impersonators enter as copies of two different creatures. But the rule, but the rules guy, and he puts that in quotes. Damn rules guys. I know, so I see it as slightly condescending. But the rules guy in our group said you can't do that. The first clever impersonator comes in as something you choose, and then the thing, uh, then that thing gets copied by the token clever impersonator clone. So if I had clever impersonator enter as a copy of Bear Cub, that's why you didn't have Jess read this. Yeah, one. I see what Jess did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so if I have a clever impersonator that enters as a copy of Bear Cub, the second one would have to be a Bear Cub as well. I was confused by this since it seems analogous to a single clone of an animated Gideon. Okay, so here's here's what basically what happens is you copy copy effects. So so my daughter is trolling me. Uh <laughs> making fun of me as I answer this question. So clever impersonator uh, slash clone enters the battlefield. When it hits the battlefield, boom, when it enters the battlefield, it is the bear cub. Okay. So that's what the game, that's what the game sees. So Riku says, okay, we're going to put in a copy of that creature. Well, copies also copy, copy effects. If, if that makes sense. So the game is going to see the impersonator turn bear, uh, uh, the impersonator copying the bear cub. And so what the game sees is a bear cub. So you're going to get a copy of your bear cub plus uh, the extra abilities that imper- uh, clever impersonator adds. Is that one of the ones that adds extra stuff? No. No? Okay. Fantasmal image is one. Yeah, I'm thinking, I thought for a second it might have had one of those, uh, you know, uh, and gains the ability to bounce it or something like that. So it's uh, clever impersonator is just can copy any non-land. Okay, clone, clone, clone that can do uh, non-land stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's basically what it Plains is. Clone. It's um, it's it's copying. It copies the copy effect. So you don't get to. You're not getting a. You're not getting a clone. You're getting a cloned bear cub. So I can. I guess that also makes me the rules guy. <laughs> yeah, the rules guy is the no fun guy. Yeah, he is. He's the worst. I, so I'd like to point out that I think there's um there's uh this weird mentality sometimes that that because the rules guy in your store may not be a certified judge, he doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about, and uh, that's not always the case. There are plenty of people that are really good with rules that are not magic judges. Um, now Matt the Apex. quotes might be because of that, and it might be because this rules guy is a jerk. So if you're the rules guy, don't be a jerk. Generally, the the way to avoid that is is when somebody asks you why, you don't just say because I said so. You because <laughs> the rule said so. Yeah, right. And then you show the rule. That's the trick there. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, to be able to say, oh, it works that way because these reasons is is very important. Um, are we ready to move on to the next one? Oh, I was born ready. You were born ready to move to the next email? Yep. That is an exciting life you lead, CJ. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so uh, our next one is from Shomo. Yep. Is that okay? That's correct. Um, Shomo. All right. Um, so it says it's a pretty simple question about giving strategic help to players. Oh, I love these questions. <laughs> uh, if somebody controls a Jace, Jace Brin's Prodigy, which is unflipped uh, and is considering casting Moon Mist... That's not a good idea. <laughs> and asks you simply, does this work? What should you say? Um, and the, the reasoning for this question is since Jace does technically flip, but then dies right afterwards because it wasn't exiled first, so it doesn't have counter loyalty counters. Uh, should you say yes, even though that seems unfair to the player? Uh, or should you say yes, but then it dies to state-based actions? Um, because they're wondering if you're giving too much information at that point. And I think the correct answer here, and an important thing to keep in mind, is that, that those aren't the only options for answering this question. And I'm not sure either one of them is correct. Uh, if somebody ever, ever holds a card up 
and, and looks at me and says, does this work? Uh, I'm going to ask them what it is they're trying to do. Right. In, in this case, it might be straightforward, but this question is in a vacuum. There might be other humans on the field. There might be other things they're trying to do. I want to make sure I'm very clear about any question. And so if a player looks at me, holds up a card and says, does this work? I, I'm going to ask for clarification, um, especially in a circumstance like this one where if they asked the question they were intending to ask, which is, will this flip my Jace and then I'll have a Planeswalker? Uh, the answer would be this. Will you flip your Jace and you won't have a Planeswalker? Um, so they, I, will, I will ask them, what is it you're trying to do? And they will say something like, well, this should transform my Jace into a Planeswalker. Uh, and if they say something, if, if they tell me what they're trying to do, I have no problem saying it will transform your Jace into a Planeswalker that will have zero loyalty. Okay. Um, how do you feel about that, CJ? Do you think that's too much information? No, I think that's okay. I think I think the main part there is, is it's okay to ask a follow-up question. Right. Without, you know, you don't have to, you don't always have to just give a yes or no answer. Right. And then there are a ton of those questions, a ton of those questions you run into at events. Um, oh, yeah. And and they're not always this straightforward. Um, so it's, it's very common that I will, that I will ask, what is it you're trying to do? And when I think I understand what, what they're trying to do, I will repeat the scenario. Okay, guys, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. This is what we have here, and this is what's happening, and this is where the error occurred. And then they go yes or no, and then I, I go from there. Like, I want to make sure I understand what's happening before I answer any rules questions. And doing that will actually help prevent you from accidentally giving strategic information way more than answering a question like this uh, in a way that says, yes, he's going to die. Cool. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I'm good, Brian. Uh, Sorry. Thanks, Shavo. Uh, what I was I was addressing I was addressing that other question that we decided not to. <laughs> yeah, the, not the to forbidden ask. question. Yes, right. but we can now answer it. Can we? Yes. Oh man! All right, hold on to that for the end of the show. We'll talk about okay. it at the end. That's all something right. you know people can look forward to. A lot of people are going to hear that question and be like, "Why did you all even discuss it?" <laughs> all right, let's go for this next one from Jim. He says, I recently learned about the card Withering Gaze, which is apparently from Portal and Ninth Edition. So I don't know what? why. I don't know where he's learning about these cards, but whatever. Um, Jeez, I'll, man. I'll read it in just a second. And of course, I got curious about its interaction with Dryad Arbor. Here's relevant info. Withering Gaze is a two and a black sorcery. It says target opponent reveals his or her hand. You draw a card for each forest and green card in it. And then as everybody surely knows, Dryad Arbor is both a forest and a green card. His question is, well, unlike most green cards, Dryad Arbor is a forest, and unlike most forests, Dryad Arbor is green. So if you have a hand consisting of a single Dryad Arbor and Milkshake casts Withering Gaze targeting me, how many cards does Milkshake draw? That actually introduced three players, but uh, <laughs> if the Withering Gaze is targeting someone with Dryad Arbor in their hand, how many cards? And the answer is one. What? I can totally see why this is confusing, though. Um, I'm going to make my best guess to explain it, and we'll just see if people correct me. So if you read uh, Withering Gaze, it says you draw a card for each forest and green card in it. So it being the hand. Um, you see there's one action, one instance of the word draw there. So it's there's one uh, draw event there. And it's asking you to count each forest and green card in the hand. Oh, there's Milkshake now. She's upset it's, that she only gets to draw one. Yes. Yeah, it, it's, it's looking for the total number of forest and, and green, green cards. cards. Yeah. So, yeah, and there are it's it's definitely worth being on the lookout because there are other cards that work slightly differently than this. There there are cards that care about each. Um, if this know. card said you could change this card just by adding one more each, each forest and each green card. Yeah. Yeah. And then then you then the question we would be asking is how many forests are there? OK, cool. Now, how many green cards are there? In this case, it wants the total quantity of forest and green cards, which is yeah. there is one. Perfect. All right. I think Milkshake is appeased. I hope so. I don't want that appeal. We're already we're already at to the point where I'm having to argue with my daughter to quit playing Battlefront so to go <laughs> to bed. You knew you knew this would happen. I yep. know, I know. She's ten. Go to bed. <laughs> oh. Okay, so uh, I'm going to move on to the next card while yep. Brian's handling that while argument. Brian's parenting. Um. So this is uh, this is from anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this one's from anonymous. Um, well, he signed it anon, but I assume he or she signed it anon. Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm going to go with anonymous. Okay. If uh, if they don't like that abbreviation of their name, <laughs> uh, or that, rather that they prefer the abbreviation, or if their name is actually anon. <laughs> then how would we ask them? 
Are these are these the guys that are that are uh, taking out uh, Donald Trump and ISIS? Yeah, good job they did. They told us there'd be an attack in Atlanta. There was no attack in Atlanta. Well, because they stopped it. Oh, I'm sorry. By, by taking down the Twitter accounts. That's true. They did it. All right. Here's yes. the setup. <laughs> That's actually in the email. Yes, it is. I yes, it starts. Here's the setup. I am a dastardly miracles player, and I control a monastery mentor, which says whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 white monk creature token with prowess onto the battlefield. There are no other non-land permanents on either side of the board. My opponent casts abrupt decay targeting the mentor. I am holding a misdirection, and I don't want my mentor to die. Can I cast the misdirection targeting the abrupt decay? Remember, at the time decay is cast, mentor is the only non-land permanent on the board. My plan is to cast misdirection, uh, sorry, uh, trigger mentor to make a token, and then send the abrupt decay at the token while misdirection is resolving. Is that possible, or do I have to select a new target for decay as soon as I am casting... Uh, as soon as I am casting misdirection. Um, so this is an interesting scenario. In With uh, cards that require targets, you do have to choose those targets while you're casting the spell. However, misdirection's target is abrupt decay, and what it does is change abrupt decay's target. So the only time that it looks to see whether or not there are other legal options is when misdirection is resolving. So you can cast misdirection targeting abrupt decay and then get your token and then when misdirection resolves change the target to the token it's a good play it's a very good play and it's definitely something where if you did it the player is going to look at you funny and not be sure it works <laughs> all right brian are you uh are, are you done with the parenting or do we need to skip you for yeah a no 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 i'm done i'm done with the parenting <laughs> done she, for it with it forever done, done for it she's it's... going straight to college now yeah, I don't have to worry send, about her. Send her off. No, you are going to worry about her so much when she goes to college. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Milkshake well, will be off to college in a year. I mean, he's seventeen. We're, we we play we play uh we play Battlefront, and uh you know she she we play the cooperative missions, and she runs and hides from the uh from the ATSTs when they show up. But uh, but when I started logging on to to JudgeCast, she started playing and. Like some of the other Florida judges were like started messaging me to join gr- a group, so she just joined that group and she <laughs> was playing. She was playing with uh with uh, Matt Williams and George Fitzgerald and Katie Temple and <laughs> those people. So and she was squealing. She yeah, she was squealing when uh, she got shot and all that good stuff. Because squeal. Okay. Do you think people have more interest in my cats than they do in your daughter? Uh, probably. Isn't that weird? It kind of is because, you know, you she's say, kind of a mascot at this point. She's a person. Yeah, she is a person. But you've got three cats. So, I have three cats. Yeah, so three or cats. Nine. Three cats is worth. I'd say I'd one say the line is. Yeah, I would say that really one 10 year old's worth like two point five cats. Okay. So the fact that you have Are you guys negotiating a trade? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Hold uh, on. I'll, I think I'll take that trade. <laughs> really? Because here's the thing. Here's the a litter thing. box? <laughs> I mean, she would probably once for the lulls, but and then she'd never stop talking about how one time she did it. She'll still tell you about the one time she ate a dog treat. I ate a dog treat once. See, I know. Save these stories, and then in a few years when she starts dating, you never stop talking about it. Oh, <laughs> I think I, I think I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to glare a lot. All right. take, take him on a ride. All right. I think it's a lovely interlude, and let's get yes. back to it. All right. So uh, the question is from Nate. Uh, uh, when is priority passed in the combat phases, specifically relating to assigning blocking order and then assigning damage? My impression was that assigning order does not use the stack, but players do have the chance to cast spells after blocking order. What's going on here? And then he also really asks, question, actually. Then he also asks... What color is a devoid bear cup? So I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question first. Okay, that's the important one. That is the important one. Um, so the important thing is, if you'd asked what color is a devoid grizzly bear, uh, the answer is it's 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 colorless because the characteristic defining ability of devoid uh, makes makes it colorless. Uh, but since we're talking about a bear cub and not a run of the mill bear. Uh, bear cub is always bear cub 
always, always, always. That's why clones want to be Bear Cub. Clever impersonators want to be Bear Cub. Everybody wants to be Bear Cub because Bear Cub is Bear Cub. Bear Cub is always Bear Cub, even outside the game. Even outside the game, Bear Cub is Bear Cub. Um, all right. So to the real question, uh, when is priority passed uh, in the combat phase? So uh, in order to get uh, get your head around this, there's these things called turn-based actions. And turn-based actions are things that nobody really owns, but they happen at certain parts in the game, and the and and you have to do them, and they don't use the stack. But the best example of this would be drawing a card, right? Draw, or actually, un, well, untap is a turn-based action too. But yeah, drawing a card at the beginning of your uh, uh, draw uh, draw step, and then this isn't a trigger. This is a turn-based action. You're going to draw a card. Well, right? I think it's a. I think, I think it's, it relates because you can do stuff in the upkeep and you can do stuff in the draw step, but you can't interrupt drawing a card. Right. So when the when the draw begins, the first thing that happens is you draw a card. Then once that happens, triggers can go on this. Uh, triggers can go on the stack, and spells can be cast and all that stuff. So for combat phases, let's since the question is specifically about assigning blocking order and assigning damage. So I've attacked. I have declared. I've declared my attackers. I've turned my dudes. Pushed them sideways. There is an opportunity for both players to cast spells, activate abilities, all that good stuff. Then we move into declare blockers, and what you do then is you, the opponent push your guys forward and say, I'm blocking here, blocking here, blocking here. Then once we do that, okay, that's a turn-based action. And turn-based action, we decide uh, blocking order, okay, which is, you know, if you if you push two guys forward uh, to block one of my guys, I'm going to say, okay, that one, then that one. Then once all that's done, okay, and we understand all that, then we can cast spells, activate abilities, do all that kind of stuff. Then once all that's done, combat damage happens. And that's and that's kind of the the end of that. Okay. It's all right. Thank you for your service. Yes. <laughs> all right. Our next email is from Dan. This is actually a Dan block we're about to go through, but the other two Dans left their last names. So it's the Dan block. Now, does the Dan block have two questions or three? <laughs> the Dan block. The Dan 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 block is three Dan, questions. Dan, uh, I was, why I was asking because changing blocks to only be two, so you got to cut the third one out. Uh, uh, I have a I have a question. Yes. Why why does Dan Dan have uh two questions? Shouldn't Dan Dan have uh uh four questions? Or maybe one? What? I think you're making Dan, a joke no one gets. About Dan Dan? Dan Dan should have Yeah, I, I mean I already referenced Dan Dan. I get Dan Dan. Right. Um <laughs> Joe, fish yes. eating that boat. Nope, it no idea what you're talking about. It's a it's a four one for blue blue from Arabian Nights. Yeah. It's a big giant fish. Like if you just look at the card art, all it is is a boat, and you might not realize it, but there's a big fish under the boat. Yeah, and that's the actual that's actual Dan Dan. But if you're not really paying attention, you might think Dan Dan's just an empty boat. <laughs> all right, Dan, or the first Dan of three, says, "Love the cast, and I finally have a question I think is worth asking you guys." At Ooh. Monday Night Modern, regular Ariel, last night I am head judge, and in round three, a player comes up and explains this situation. Andy attacks with two Tarmogoyfs. They go unblocked, and both players think the Goyfs are four or five. Nate takes eight damage and goes to one. At the end of Nate's next turn, they recount Goyf, and the attacking creatures are actually five, six. So Nate should have gone to negative one and lost. After a few minutes of not finding a concrete fix and not wanting to hold up the tournament, I rule that since the decisions actions made after the incorrect life adjustment wouldn't matter, uh, i.e. the game should have ended, we would just go back up to combat and correctly assign damage. How close far was I to the mark on this one? What about at competitive? So, uh, yeah, just to reiterate, this is at regular REL, although um, the decision whether or not to rewind is pretty close no matter which REL you're at, but... Uh, this is basically something where you're going to evaluate the game state. Um, I've heard this come up a few times, like, because you could also argue, well, the game should have ended, but I, I'm still going to stay firm in the no partial fixes deal here, right? Like, um, you know, maybe the blocks would have gone differently if they'd known the actual power and toughness, things like that. So you have to evaluate where we are in the game. So let's say, uh, so right now we're at the end of Nate's next turn, and that's when they recount. So let's say all Nate did was draw a card, uh, let's say play a land and say go, right? Um, okay, I'm willing to rewind through that back to combat, um, depending on what happened in combat. But if a bunch of spells were cast, if, you know, who knows what happened, somebody brainstormed three times in modern, um, then no, I'm not going to rewind. Even though a player should be dead here, uh, I, I wouldn't rewind. So it's just it's just a classic look at what all happened, decide whether or not you're going to rewind. I would like to point out the player might not be dead. 
since a competitive REL would be issuing a CPV here, um, a regular REL, we're going to be backing up to the point where the information was incorrect. Um, that is, the the what the, the power toughness of the Tarmogoyce. So he could go back and block. Well, you'd go back to damage, wouldn't you? No, because both players state oh, that they believe it's a 4-5. CBV. Yes, so the point, the error, like where the, the, point that it had an where impact the bad information was acted on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, he could he could block differently if he had no creatures. I don't know. Maybe it's healing solvent hand. You know, I don't know. Yeah. So so basically, there there is a world where they didn't bother counting until after he was like, yeah, no blocks. How much is it? Like that is a thing that's different. So you need to find out what exactly happened to get us to that point before you can decide where we're backing up to, mm-hmm. and then and then once you have that information, then you can decide if we're backing up based on how the game has proceeded from that point. What else happened, etc. Just like you were saying. Although, if the player should have been dead, I'm highly inclined to rewind. So, so just, so, no blocks. If the player says, no blocks, how much do I take? Yeah. We're going to combat damage. And if he says, and he attacks and he goes, how much is that? And the guy, and there's like four or five. Oh, okay, no blocks. Right, then those that's are very different scenarios. Those are very different. So, in the first scenario, uh, where he goes, yeah, I won't block, how much am I taking? Uh, and then they get the damage wrong, um, then, you know, the, the, the impact the backup is going to have on the game is that we actually get to the most correct game state, so I'm probably backing up. Um, in, in the situation where, you know, he was wrong about the amount of... The, where, where he goes, how much is it? Oh, it's eight? Okay, I'll take it. Whether or not a backup is going to depend entirely on, on what I believe will have the biggest impact on the game, the error or the backing up past it. Cool. Do you agree with that, CJ? Yes, I do. Awesome. <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> I like that you're looking to me for approval. Well, I mean, it was your question, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, here's the secret. You've read all these already. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> like, there's a very good chance that you've thought about this a lot more than I have. Right. I've only read the ones you put my name next to or that, that I've gone and seen in the emails. Yeah. Right. I read mine and saw that Clever Impersonator was in there a whole bunch of times. I was like, oh, this one's going to be hard. And oh, then I got into so, it and I'm like, oh. That's so I'd like bad. to point out – so, so the little behind the scenes stuff here. Um, they, uh, CJ does this thing where when he puts the emails into question form for us to read on the show, he actually puts links to the Oracle text for each card. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how that occurs. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just glad it happens because it's very helpful. Except I get to my question about misdirection, and there's no link for misdirection. Yeah. <laughs> so I was well, like, I can't verify this is right. That's very fitting for that card, right? right? Or Whoa. or you clicked on it, it took you to, to catfancy.com. <laughs> well, that would have been the best. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'll take a quick plug for AutoCard Anywhere, which is a uh, Chrome extension that will... If magic cards are said anywhere on any page, it will highlight them and have a hover over for um, the card. And if you copy and paste that text, it will link to wherever you told it to link. And I, I, like and I was just being lazy and not removing the links, but you're welcome. I like also how it does it detects plurals. Like with, for two Tarmogoyfs, it'll go, oh, Tarmogoyf, and it'll make Tarmogoyf the hyperlink and just have the S, <laughs> not a hyperlink. And then I also have it set up not to do single words because that gets really annoying with like... A ton of cards so that's why misdirection didn't show up and if you're wondering why kithian that you're about to read does show up that's because it will do single words if they're a legendary card name oh so it uses the uh that's the awesome. deck checklist deck rule yeah yeah <laughs> uh it also do like bob and tim it'll show those really yeah so if i say time will it uh will it do tim e i don't know Anyway, I've talked about it enough that I think I have to put a link in the show notes, so thanks for that. Yay. Yay. Mission it's... accomplished. Can AutoCard AutoCard its own self? AutoCard its own? Yeah, like, like would, it, would, it, would it do something like if you mention AutoCard, will it go like, oh, I'm going to put a link to... Uh, no, it won't do that. Oh. Next, Dan. Okay, so uh, I really like this question. Uh, this is, so in the world before Battle for Zendikar rolled out and we're playing standard, is it acceptable to put Gideon on the deck list even though the face of the card is Kithian? I like this question because it was extremely short. Right? It was straight to the point. Like, that's basically what the actual email said, too, before I trimmed it. Okay, so tournament policy allows two important things here that are very relevant. 
first thing is for legendary creatures uh, or storyline characters, uh, putting part of their name, or the first name, of, uh, is, is acceptable. Uh, we've seen this with, for example, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. Uh, you can just write Emrakul. In fact, that's probably the most common example. Um, if that card exists in more than one place in the format, so for example, if uh, there are two different uh, Chandra Planeswalkers in a single format, or if you're playing if you're playing Modern and you try to write Jace and there are a bunch of different Jaces, and you just write Jace, that's not good enough. But if there's only one card that represents that storyline character and you only write part of that character's uh, name, or just the name and not a whole title, that's acceptable. Um, now, what the what what Dan is alluding to here is that there's a little, a tiny little uh, fuzzy area here in that policy, in that Gideon isn't technically the name of the front face of that card because Kithian is the name of the front face of that card. So even though it's it's referring to that storyline character, is writing Gideon acceptable? Uh, this brings me to the second part of policy that's very important, which is that. I think that if you write Gideon on that deck list, it is both obvious and unambiguous. Now, right. I think that it's obvious and unambiguous. There's a I... small chance that another judge might not think that because reasons. I don't know. Yeah, but no, I, I agree with you. I mean, but my yeah, point is, my point is that if you if you do this, you're relying on the judge reading your deck list to know what you're talking about. Um, so as long as that's a thing you trust, you should be fine. Uh, you're probably better off just writing Kithian. Of course. Yeah. So if, at uh, this point, if you're putting if you're putting this much thought into it, uh, right. you just, just, just write Kithian. Uh, Kithian. 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 I said I said Kithian the first time. I just said it with an accent, so it sounded oh, like. Oh, okay. Thank right. you for that story reference. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I gotta throw this out. I gotta show you that I can hang somewhat yes. with the flavor, flavor cast. All right, Brian, tell us All about right. so Daniel Dan, the Third. Dan Jackson. Yeah. I like that name. Dan Jackson. Um, uh, I know if a player... Well, if you know the answer to the question, why are you asking? No. I know if a player gets a uh, deck deck list problem game loss before anything happens in a match, game two is played with no sideboard, and game three is back to normal. What happens if the game loss is between games? Can they re-sideboard? For example... Anna win game, wins game one, and she sideboards knowing that she'll be on the draw for game two. Mid-round deck check happens, and there's an error on her list. Okay, so that means she's going to get a game loss, and the players are going to go into game three. Can she switch her deck again, since now she has uh, the option to be on the play, uh, or I, or am I wrong assuming uh or am i wrong in assuming that she gets the choice for that game so if anna if anna loses uh what is <laughs> what are you doing hey nothing so uh i also wrote down what i quickly assumed to be the answer for some of these but maybe i was wrong <laughs> and just to confuse brian and since <laughs> i've gotten just i think twice now by writing down the wrong answer and having him explain it perfectly Right. Yeah. I no, that's happened. No, I think it only happened once, but okay. it definitely, it definitely got me. You wrote, you wrote an answer. I just went with it. I'm like, because these reasons that yeah. I just made up, because it makes sense. So, um, yeah. Go ahead. Brian. Okay. Well, why don't you finish answering this then, since you're gonna swap things out <laughs> on me? Well, you can continue answering with the wrong answer if you well, make you better, happy. It, it was better because, uh, so we we have this Google Doc open, and and so uh, while Brian is trying to read it. CJ and I both started typing in the same spot at the yes, same we time. Did. <laughs> so it's it to, just, to be it's, like, no, that's that's not how that works. Yeah, uh, no and yes and no and yes <laughs> at I the same gonna, time. I was in a rush. <laughs> All right. Up. So okay. uh, the the answer is uh, yes, she can. Yes. Right, and this is very relevant for some strategies. There are decks that like to play different cards if they're on the play in the same matchup than they would if they were on the draw. Yeah. So basically, that 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 game two, it's over. Right. Right. Um, that whether, pregame procedure no longer matters. Yeah. Right. Who's going to play or draw doesn't right. matter because we're about so to go going, into game three. Right. So that that uh, that whole uh, deck that you just that you just created and you presented for for game two, uh, that game's done and you're now into game three. And hey, guess what? You get to sideboard for game uh, game three. Now, that does bring up the question which we didn't cover here. Why can't you sideboard for game two? If the if a player lost game one before any gameplay took place, uh, specifically because the in the in the in the MTR I think in the pregame procedures uh, it lists out that sideboarding can only be done uh, after a game with game actions. 
I think is the way it's worded. Right. The, the idea here is that that you can only sideboard if you've actually seen gameplay. So if you've if you and so that's that's the line is if I've drawn my opening seven and you lay a land down and up it turns out to be you know uh you you play a land and a soul ring and it's uh, a modern event um you know and you get a game loss well gameplay's happened so you're going to be able to you're going on to game two and there's going to be an opportunity sideboard cool all right sorry Brian. It's all right. <laughs> At least I caught it before. Well, you caught it. It's like I was I was kind of cocked my head to the side. and I'm like, really? And then it just all changed on me in the middle. of. <laughs> all right. My next one isn't a question because I make the show notes, so I get to cheat. All right. This one's from Brian, but not Brian Brillman. It's been a while since I've emailed it in, but just listened to the Deck Checks Decktacular episode and just wanted to share some advice that I was taught a time ago and highly recommend such practice. So this is about deck checks, of course. Uh, for the swoop part of the deck check, after I state um, state the pair have been selected for a deck check, while they are packing up their deck, I automatically grab their match slip if it is present. This allows me to double check to make sure I have the correct table for one. Two, it preps me for my next move. Uh, once they are all done packing up their decks, whoever is on the top line of the match slip, I grab their deck with a hand with the match slip. That is my indicator of saying between, um, saying as an example, between the match of Anne and Nicole, I have Anne's deck in the matchlip hand and Nicole's deck in the other hand. Also, this way I can then ask slash verify, so I have Anne's deck and Nicole's. If any of them look bewildered, we might have a player that's at the wrong seat. So, Brian, I want to thank you for sending in this advice. I think it is solid advice. Um, The only thing I'd add to that is I think sometimes perhaps Brian, Jess, and I get a little too, um, too into the large events where maybe we do the majority of our judging. And uh, at, at events like that, you you generally don't have the slip by the time you're doing a beginning of round deck check. So, but mm-hmm. it's nice. It's certainly if you do have the slip there, I'd yeah, I'd say grab it. There's no reason not to. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Brian. You're welcome. Wait. Wait. I wish you'd brought this up on the episode, Brian. <sighs> Didn't have to read it now. So our next email is from uh, Zane. Sorry. <laughs> All right, Zane says, firstly, just wanted to let you guys know you're awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Zane. Secondly, I wanted to double check a ruling I heard secondhand. Oh, that's never good. <laughs> well, I, I thought that earlier one of the this happened during Commander, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's like the nightmare line. Um, usually, so if somebody says I heard a ruling secondhand, it, it's, it's it might be missing some de- details, but I'm going to keep reading. Yes. So uh, I heard that if you cast two insurrections, which says untap all creatures and gain control of them until end of turn, they gain haste until end of turn. On the same turn, you get to permanently keep all of the creatures. Dun, dun, dun. I had been searching around on Google and can't find a proper answer. I I, I think I know why you can't find a proper answer. Uh, you probably also can't find a discussion about it because that is not how this works. Yeah. Uh, this is this is definitely not how this works. So you, you have two different effects that are applying at the same time that give you control. And both of them end at the same time, which is the end of the turn. They don't keep going. They don't stack up con- uh, consecutively. You just have two different effects applying at the same time. Uh, let me give you an example of, of how that might be relevant. Um, let's say I had uh, an, a, a similar effect that said gain control of of uh, gain control of a creature uh, until end of turn. It gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. If I cast that twice on a creature, it would be getting plus four plus zero, and all of the effects would still end at the end of the turn, and it, my opponent would still get it back. So can can I offer up where I think this might have come from? Yes, yes, you can. I think okay. it came from Stonehorn Dignitary. Uh, that the... But that might not be where you're coming from. No, it's it's because because there's there's actually a so when you play casual, okay, and you're playing like EDH and stuff like that, a lot of times you play other variants like Star and Emperor and stuff like that, and so there actually is something you can do with uh, cards like Insurrection in some of those other variants. Um, specifically Emperor, uh, has the deploy creatures option. Uh, <laughs> you're going to love this. Uh, each creature. So this is a variant that is used in, in Emperor, uh, uh, that each creature has an additional ability so that, uh, Petroglyph's card, uh, is not so good in Emperor. 
CJ, just just an FYI. Paragon Petroglyphs. Yeah, that's important. Uh, to me. Uh, tap, tap target teammate gains control of this creature. Activate this ability anytime you could cast a sorcery. So what you can do if you're the emperor, you can cast Insurrection on your turn, gain control of all creatures. And then because they have haste and they have this tap ability, you can tap them and give them to one of your teammates. That is only in this very obscure format. That is very obscure. And you really think that's where this question came from? It is because I I think because he says he says this is an EDH question and EDH people have also a tendency to play this wacky stuff. So let me give you an example that might come up in this EDH game. Well, Uh, let me me just let me finish this. Go ahead. The, dif- the difference here is insurrection has a duration, is a control-changing effect that has a duration, whereas the deploy creatures option uh, doesn't have a duration. So you have two control effects. Uh, one has a duration, one doesn't. Uh, so the du- the control effect that doesn't have a duration keeps lasting beyond the end of the turn, and that's why the guy gets to keep the creatures. This also could have come from restoration angeling things. Yeah, that's what I would suspect. So, like, if I zealous conscripts, if I cast zealous conscripts and take control of your creature, and then I cast restoration angel and blink the guy that I took control of, then I will get to keep it permanently. Um, this is another way that you can permanently take control of your guys. Um, that's because it leaves comes in under my control as a new object. There are no more effects applying to it. Um, so there, are, there are a number of ways, some Bizarre. more obscure than others, Just to uh, take control of. Uh, hey, look, man. <laughs> Look, Look, man, we got, we got we got rules nerds here and you could you could use a bizarre trader, right? Instead of you don't have to mess with any angels of whatever. You just use a bizarre trader and you can say tap target creature uh, gains control of artifact creature land you control. I'm going to gain nice. control of the thing that I control already. Nah. I think it's target opponent, isn't it? Target opponent? Nope. Yeah. Target player. Yeah. OK, you can give yourself control of stuff. Yeah. Of stuff you control, it's target player gains control of target artifact creature or land you control. Really? Yeah. I, I hadn't considered that application. Because uh, it's a bad card. I mean, it is a, it's a very bad card. I know a guy who bought like a million of them because he thought it was going to be good. Um, <laughs> Wait, me too. Different guy. Well, how many guys could have bought a million of this card? <laughs> Pro- like, I mean, this guy was on the West Coast, so probably a different guy. Weird. Well, I mean, how many people? 15? It's a rare, right? How many? 20? 20 guys could buy a million? <laughs> like max? I don't know. Wizards, what's your print run? We need to find this out. Right, That's Brian. really important for saying it's gay. It is. Beyond the uh, the forbidden question, please take us out on the question from the person we knew was coming. All right. So, the, of course, it, w- it wouldn't be an email episode without an email from uh, Kelly Rainwater. Ahoy! Ahoy. Ahoy. So, uh, what we have here is uh, ahoy. I was playing my pirate deck because, of course, I was. Of course, you were. Uh, against a Lavinia deck. My opponent has Godhead of Awe, which the important part of Godhead of Awe is uh, other creatures have base power and toughness of 1 1. So my opponent has a Godhead of Awe, and I play a Trench Gorger. Trench Gorger uh, is a 6 6 trample that has. Uh, the following ability. When Trench Gorger enters the battlefield, you may search your library for any number of land cards. Exile them, then shuffle your library. If you do, Trench Gorger has base power and toughness, each equal to the number of cards exiled this way. So the question is, is it, and so I exile a bunch of lands. Let's say I exile, uh, I'll finish finish the email. Uh... I'm pretty sure in this situation, Trench Gorger wins, since Trench Gorger's triggered ability will have a later timestamp. Uh, am I correct? The answer is yes. So uh, what we have is we have two effects that want to set the power and toughness to specific values. Um, and in that particular case, you do look at timestamps and you apply them in timestamp order. So Godhead of All says uh, uh, you're a 1-1, and then Trench Gorger's ability says I'm a... 9-9 or a 10-10 or a 2-2. Um, so there you go. Timestamps. 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 All right. Then I guess we're ready. For are we ready? Question. The, the forbidden question. The question we weren't going to do. Are we going to do it now? We're going to do it. Awesome. All right. I uh, like the fact that we had to check on this one. The, <laughs> like I, So it does come up every once in a while that like we won't know the answer to a question. I'm not trying to say that we know all of the answers because we don't. But usually between the three of us, we go, wait, how does this work? And one of the other three will explain it. Um, this question, we went, wait a minute, what? And yeah. 
and and we went we had some discussion about it and then we had to go find somebody else to get the answer yeah yeah we all we all had we all had the right answer it was just explaining why why yeah what i'm pretty sure i know it works this way it definitely works i can't tell you why it works that way so let me, let me read it. Sure. Uh, it's from Robert, and he says, I have a question about the Magic Origins card, Touch of Moon Glove. 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 It's Glove. It, Touch of glove? Moon Glove. <laughs> Pretty sure it's Glove. I mean, Glove. Probably Glove. I don't know. No, it's Glove. It's obviously Glove. It's a Moon Glove. Anyway, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's reads. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus zero, and gains Death Touch until end of turn. Whenever a creature dealt damage by that creature dies this turn, its controller loses two life. Here's my question. Last turn, my 1-3 Maritime Guard blocked my opponent's 2-2 Bear Cub. I love these simple cards. Thank you. This turn, I cast Touch of Moon Glove, targeting my Maritime Guard, and then cast Doom Blade to destroy my opponent's Bear Cub. So just remember that that uh, Maritime Guard was dealt damage by the Bear Cub in the previous turn. Does my opponent lose two lives? So let me read that trigger one more time. It says, whenever a creature dealt damage by that creature dies this turn, its controller loses two life. And uh, I'm sure some people out there are being like, well, of course he doesn't lose two life. Like, of course the opponent doesn't lose two life. But that wording is actually really odd. And we had to have a big discussion about it because the way I think at least Jess and I are parsing it is uh, whenever a creature dealt damage by that creature dies this turn. So the this turn only applies to the dies. That's how we were reading it. But that really doesn't, doesn't make, make sense. any sense that's yeah, not how magic work. works because the, <laughs> right. the game is designed so that the damage and tracking things should never go through a cleanup step ever. right so it became a big rules thing but anyway brian went to the I rules was, father yeah so yeah so my 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 thought was i was saying no i think i think that this turn applies to the to the whole trigger condition so it's and it so it's uh creature dealt damage by this creature dies this turn, like this turn modified all that other stuff uh, in front of it or applied to all that other stuff in front of it. So we actually ended up getting uh, uh, messaging, uh, uh, calling on the bat phone, uh, Mr. Mr. Tabak, uh, rules manager. Who had nothing and better to do. Who had nothing better to do than to, to answer. I, I, I might have thrown out like, oh, I love the Packers. You know, you know, what do you what do you think of the John Cena, you know, the newest John Cena meme? Yeah. Um, you know, got to butter him up a little bit. Uh, and so uh, his reply was the answer is no. Right. And he goes, there's a linguistic uh, ambiguity that probably doesn't happen in other languages. Uh, this turn is meant to apply to both conditions, the damage and the dying. Uh, you could read it the other way, but that's not the intent. So there is ambiguity in what it could mean. Uh but what we want to do is we want to interpret it in the in the in the way that most makes the most sense in the context of the game, which is dealing damage. It, it has to be dealt damage this turn and die this turn. Ta-da. And there it is. The forbidden question. Yeah, we were actually we were actually debating as to whether or not to read this beforehand because it was sort of like, hey, well, you know, we can answer it. But how intelligently can we explain it? Right. Which even now we didn't really explain it. No, we just, <laughs> just said Tabak says so. Well, no, no, there's there he are, said that he, he agreed. He, he acknowledged the, the linguistic ambiguity, said it was unintended and that this is the way it works. Yes. Yep. All right. And, well. and, I think, and I think for the most part, we, we you, when you read this stuff, you you un, uh, you intuitively understand what it's trying to do, which is when you read magic cards, that's the goal of of their editing. Uh, their editing is to make this stuff intuitive mm-hmm. as possible. So. Well, if it seems if it seems really weird and really awkward and wrong, then it, pro- it probably doesn't work that way. Correct. All right, well, thanks everyone for sending us an email. Uh, there are about twenty other emails we didn't read on the air because that's our lives these days. We can't we can't read emails every episode anymore, or all the episodes would continue to be two hours long, and it just doesn't work. I like uh, two hour long episodes. Well. When I don't have Battlefront. <laughs> um, but if you want to email us out there, we will eventually reply to your email. And I know there's some people from September who just got some emails today, but we will eventually reply to it. If you're looking for a more urgent rules question, I would recommend contacting either Cranial Insertion, uh, the MTG Rules Chat, or Charlotte Sable, former host of JudgeCast North, or should I say host of former JudgeCast North, either way, at the uh, Magic... Um, rules tumblr uh, ask a magic judge that's what it's called uh but you can still email us at judgecast at gmail.com or 
like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. Does anyone have any news this week? I don't think we had any news. Uh, I don't well, think so. Yeah, nothing uh, really. Hold on. There's something that's that's come out in the last two two weeks since we recorded. Certain uh, certain announcement for we, a certain event. We, oh, oh, right. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, the JudgeCast Open, as we're calling it. Yes. Um, SCG Atlanta, uh, Star City Games Open or Tour for Atlanta, yes. will have Brian as head judge of the standard, Jess as head judge of the modern, and me as head judge of the legacy. Yep. All the head judging. All the head judging. All so. the head judging. And if any of us make reference to that in our announcements, uh, no one will get it. <laughs> That's correct. I just, so I, I really think that we should let CJ make the opening announcements for all of the events. For so all he of could, them? Yeah, yeah. So he could start with, hello, hello and welcome to JudgeCast. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. Sure. Like, what? Well, you're definitely <laughs> when... Uh, My name's CJ Schrader and... Here's your head judge. Here's your head judge as always. Actually, as always, here's your head judge. That's, that's actually the plan for for uh, for the open. That I definitely want you to to announce the at least the the head judge announcements at the beginning of the day. I mean, I you will. started that way. <laughs> Five people in the audience will really love it. No, 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 no. The head judges. Sorry, for the judges. For the judges. The players won't care. Yeah. Okay. We're ruining the surprise of it. Well, then just edit all this part out. Nope. Nope. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow okay. uh yeah so that's exciting though that's really exciting yeah. it was funny um it was before a previous episode so so head judges they always know what events they're going to be on before right they're they're sent the offers independently and before an episode uh in the past we were all talking and we're like yeah i'm gonna be at scg atlanta and you know yeah i'm gonna be at scg atlanta and then we're like well wait the applications haven't gone up how do you know and we realized <laughs> that must mean we were all head judges right and uh, so i sent a message to does to the guy making the staffing decisions and i'm like did you do this on purpose the response was maybe (laughs) all right well with no other news i'll uh does anyone know the date of that it's the 23rd 24th are you sure uh i hope so or else i bought up the ticket for the wrong weekend (laughs) (laughs) it is that weekend all right so yeah the weekend of january uh 23rd and 24th (laughs) you had me worried for a minute there i was like crap I consult uh, StarCityGames.com for oh, more information. And also, uh, I'm going up a, a day early because Puppet, uh, Museum. Puppet Museum. Yes, it's happening. It is happening. We'll record live from the Puppet Museum. Absolutely. The Hall of Terror. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you all for co-hosting. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman. I keep playing Star Wars Battlefront. Touch of Moon Grove.